0: Welcome everyone. I am psyched about my guest today, HW Media CEO Clayton Collins, to talk about some of the executive guests he's had on the Housing News Podcast recently, including Rick Arviello, Anthony Shea, and Tyler Oakland, which gives them a unique perspective into how lenders, especially IMBs, are dealing with the current market. Clayton, welcome to the Housing Wire Daily Podcast. Here you are, you do your own podcast, and now I'm getting to interview you on mine.
1: Well, thanks for having me back, sir. I think last time that I had the the chance of being a, a guest on Housing Wire Daily was when you and I were out at the Broadmoor for the Gathering of Eagles event, and uh, here we are. We're back.
0: We are. You know, you get to interview some really interesting and successful um, executives on Housing News, and that's why I wanted to talk about some of your recent guests. You had Rick Arviello, of course, who uh, is out at New American Funding? Really interesting interview about you know kind of what what their experience as a lender who's been doing this for a really long time, how they're navigating this market. Um, what was some something that stood out to you there?
1: Yeah, Rick really confirmed a lot of my like my thinking around what it's like to run an independent mortgage bank in in this market. And I've been talking about on Housing News how. The winners of this housing cycle won't be decided now. They were decided 18 to 24 months ago as leaders made decisions about their capital structures. And the businesses, whether they're technology companies, mortgage lenders, or real estate brokerages that bolstered their balance sheets and kept cash on the balance sheet or found a way to efficiently access public markets will be the winners in this next cycle because they will have the resources, the cash and the timelines to effectively take advantage of opportunities that any kind of down cycle presents. So we talked a lot with Rick about how he's prepared his business in terms of servicing and keeping cash on the balance sheet to be able to grow into a tougher market.
0: We are seeing this all over. Obviously our newsroom is covering every day, you know, um, really, um, successful companies who are still trying to right size. Um, as the saying goes, you know, really having to lay people off just to meet the volume of this current market. Um, also some people who are really taking advantage. One of our big stories over the last couple of weeks has been UWM's strategy to really kind of squeeze out the other wholesale lenders. And boy, are we seeing that when you look at like, um, home point layoffs and, um, open mortgage shutting down, just just a lot of different people in the in the wholesale space who are having to respond to lower margins after that uh, call.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things at play in terms of the decisions that lenders are making right now to ensure that their companies are well positioned for the rest of this cycle and and what comes next. And we know that lenders made aggressive growth in hiring decisions to handle The boom in volume that was the refi boom that we were handed over the last 24 months with pandemic-induced record low interest rates. And as you look at some of the headlines and the decisions that executives across the industry are making, it is very painful to think about the employee impact of people being laid off and unemployed, but we also... As business journalists and fellow business professionals have to know that some of these leaders are going through the hardest months and quarters and years of their lives. And some of the decisions they're making are the right decisions to ensure the greater success of the employees, the team members and executives that are still with them. And ensuring their ability to serve consumers on the other side of this market. And since we're kind of here talking about some of my interviews on housing news, I got to go back a couple months and, and think about a, an interview with Anthony Shea um, from Loan Depot. And Anthony highlighted a, a kind of a totally different perspective than I think I've heard other executives talk about. He says, hey... Listen, we we hired aggressively to do, to serve the refi boom, and um, you know, as an interviewer, I'm thinking like, okay, we've put so much focus on purchase lenders that had heavy refi volume. Over the last like twelve to twenty four months, we knew would um, you know not come into the purchase cycle as strong. Anthony comes with the vantage point that like, he didn't hire, he didn't prepare his business to serve these refi customers. Then there would be hundreds of thousands or millions of homeowners out there who just didn't get served when the interest rates were at record lows. And it's a different mentality to come into it and say like, hey, we we hired and now we have to reduce headcount because we had an obligation to serve these homeowners who. Had a financial benefit to refining while rates were at record lows, and uh, you know, as a as an operator who's been through several cycles, I, I think Anthony mentioned he's been in the industry for for, for thirty years or forty years. Um, he comes in with a totally different vantage point than people who are newer to the industry who might have joined since the Great Financial Crisis and haven't seen um, six, 8, 10 of these these cycles, which are which are always painful. But knowing how to navigate them, um, whether it's with uh, a sustainable approach to hiring or a more elastic approach to hiring, there's, there's different models out there. And we're definitely seeing those models play out right now.
0: I think it's why, uh, housing news is so fascinating is because you are an operator, you're a CEO and you're interviewing other operator CEOs of much larger companies, mostly, right? Uh, but the fact is that you're asking them the questions and you have the viewpoint that I think is just so advantageous to our listeners who are also operating in the, in this whole business environment that's very different right now. And you are tapping into the people who, like we said before, are really finding um, the sweet spot here in a very difficult time but are doing the best they can to lead their companies and still you know serve consumers um serve their investors sometimes serve you know their their the people who work for them it's it's difficult but i love that that attitude that anthony had because i feel like that is really different than what we might think oh layoffs 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 it's like but you know it served it served them to do a great job they had to have that those people and that volume, um, you know, to handle that in the last two years.
1: I mean, at this stage, you just gotta love the the mortgage banker. And uh, we look at the headlines. I think we even published another one today of a large depository significantly reducing their headcount, if not all out exiting mortgage. And you look at the tough decisions that independent mortgage banks and their executives are are making. And those are decisions that are made to help their businesses be stronger, more efficient on the other side. The decisions that we're seeing depositories make in many scenarios are all out channel exits. And if we do believe that housing is an important part of our economy, if we do believe that Americans want to live under a roof and preferably a single family housing um, unit. Then the mortgage industry, the service that independent mortgage bankers are bringing to the market, is is incredibly important. And I think that the competition that depositories and other models, whether it's fintechs or the or the the wholesale channel, like whatever like model you're bringing to the industry, like those all matter in the. The competition is is good for consumers and the innovation that we're all driving toward, but it's it's kind of a shame to see the depositories kind of um, picking up shop and moving on to other products as we go through a tough time in the in the housing market. But the the mortgage bankers, um, the gentlemen that I've interviewed this month and the the leaders that I've interviewed over the last year, the 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 Anthony's, the Ricks, like they, they are in it. They will see the other side of this. Their organizations might look different, but they will continue. Lending money to people who are buying houses.
0: You know, this really goes to what you and I talk a lot about, and what you talk to our company uh, about a lot, which is our mission at HousingWare is move, moving markets forward, and that's that encompasses a lot, but it at the heart of it is like we value home ownership and we value the housing. Um, part of this overall economy what what that position of housing is to drive our overall economy and and to provide the jobs and the services and the homes and everything else that people need to succeed right now so it is i love your i love your focus on finding the companies and talking to some of the the smartest people about how they're making this work in this very difficult market
1: yeah and we we're we 're passionate about home ownership and we love the the vertical we get to cover through housing wire at real trends but we 're not married to one specific model, and I think as we go. Through this housing recession, as as Logan has officially coined it and waved the flag, it's important to think about what the future of housing finance looks like. So um, this 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 theme actually started with Rick 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 Arviello talking about some of the technology innovation happening in housing and how he sees a a greater future for um, experiences like, like iBuyers that are bringing digital speed and transparency to the, the home, the home purchase and sale process. Um, We, we followed up with, that conversation with Rick with the interview with Tyler Auckland, who is a uh, a medical surgeon he's facial reconstructive surgery by day but he's an open door analyst by night and um you would have thought i was interviewing the ceo of open door the guy knows everything about the business down to the operating kpis to um what's coming next in the the pipeline the 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 good the bad the ugly and exactly how it's impacted the stock he is a long investor so that's an important preface on this one but he uh He has a very strongly held belief that a digital future of the housing industry is what he's betting on and believes that players like Open Door are going to be the ones that help enable that. And uh, I think it's a particularly interesting topic because we're not talking about someone who is out to disrupt the housing market, um, but as instead finding ways to improve the process and work hand in hand with real estate brokers and mortgage lenders and the other parties to a single family residential housing transaction.
0: I actually, I thought this was a fascinating interview uh, because of his background. I mean, we're, we're used to people who do, you know, moonlighting as real estate agents. Maybe they have a brokerage, maybe they do. Not not really used to, to this kind of wholesale, like you said. I mean, he started this data company um, just to study Open Door and, and what it's doing. And I felt like, it, to your point, I felt like we were having someone, uh, an expert from outside the industry coming in and looking at it and saying, how could he... Yeah, How could a smart person from another completely different thing look at it and really bring some innovation? I thought it was awesome
1: it was a it was a fun conversation and as our the producer of this show Alyssa branch can can attest to this was not an easy interview to make happen uh we had several uh um reschedulings because tyler had surgeries and what do you say when he's like hey i, have a, I had a surgery <laughs> pop up i got to go in for a proceed to, to do a procedure like uh no we need you to stick to this time like no it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work that way so it was definitely um you know different to interview somebody outside of our like our typical like like white collar or corporate world where you can just shuffle some things around an outlook and make it work um this is a this was a little bit different but somehow some way some level of superhuman energy this gentleman has has figured out a way to become an expert on a space that is not his not his day job, um, and build a national and, and global reputation for the expertise that he brings. He's he's building a product and selling data to institutional investors and and hedge funds and high frequency trading shops that are obviously finding finding value in the perspectives and, and data that he brings. And pretty fortunate to for him to be able to share some of that perspective and trend analysis with the uh, with the housing news audience.
0: Well, what we wanted to do now is really have an excerpt of that interview just to give people a, a feel for it. And I would encourage all of our listeners at um, Housing Wire Daily to check out Housing News because it really is—it's a really different kind of podcast than what I do, which is really interviewing our um, the people reporting on the news. Logan talking about things—you're really talking to executives and getting into it. You you go you do a deep dive, and it's fascinating. So, thank you for being on and kind of giving us a preview. And now I hope that our listeners are excited to hear uh, part of this interview with Tyler.
1: I think that's Sarah's way of saying enough of you, Clayton, let's get the real expert (laughs) on here. Um, but, uh, hope you enjoy the show. And if you enjoy the content that you hear from Sarah, and if you enjoy the content from this excerpt, I really hope you'll join us in Scottsdale for housing wire annual. These are the type of conversations we're bringing to stage and in-person experience. So, um, hope you like this episode.
2: So in January of this year, um, kind of the magical world of Twitter, I got a DM from someone I'd never met um, whose name was Sebastian Futuro. And he's a Japanese Shopify developer. And he said, Hey, Tyler, I know that you're trying to build an algorithm to track open door operational performance. It's like, I, I think I can build this. I just might not be the right person to explain it to people and, and commercialize it if you're interested. And I was like, yes, like let's team up and work on this. And initially, like you said, we, we were using it more to just Create content and, and provide a contrarian view on Open Door and become better investors. But at the end of the day, I'm not a high frequency trader. I'm not trading options and companies or anything like that. I'm a long investor sort of horizon type of person. And so it's probably not super useful as an investment tool for me because I'm not going to be trading around the position. Um, but we realized when we started running the numbers and in the estimates that we're getting very close to actual results. And so, the more that we began to consider and contemplate how to how to commercialize the product, it was like, "Hey, there's a space for this, and there's demand, and we have an audience. So let's let's productize it." And so, today we have an institutional tier. We we're a data vendor for hedge funds, consultancy groups, um, and you know uh, companies. And then we also have a retail investor tier as well.
1: Really, really interesting. So, what? Uh, tell me about some of like the the August 2022 insights that you're starting to gain from the, the data access that you've built through Door.
2: Yeah. So, so August was a tough month for, for the company. And I, I think, um, you know, one of the, one of the articles I, I recently wrote about open door is that, uh, they're struggling in, in quite a few of their major markets with the housing slowdown that we saw at the end of the summer, you know, mortgage rates sort of went through this, um, the ceiling of 6% and I think demand just didn't show up, uh, as, as was expected. And a lot of people consider this, um, a once in several decade event that probably won't happen again at that velocity. Um, but certainly open door bought more homes than they should have at, at an inopportune time. And they had to sort of pay the price and sell off a lot of that
1: inventory. And in, in July and August and September. So how do you, do you see the model, do you see the buying pattern changing or or has it like what has happened in the August buying pattern?
2: Yeah. So that, that's like the most important part of the thesis, right? Is if you have bad, if you have bad inventory and you know, you can sell it off. Sure. But eventually you have to replace it and replenish it with better purchase inventory. And so by that, I mean, higher spread inventory. So you paid less probably than it was worth so that you can sell it in a depreciating market and still make a, a positive margin. And what we're seeing is that through July, um, Opendoor has purchased, uh, like in the trailing seven-day period, Opendoor's purchase price in Atlanta and Phoenix, for example, is more than 10% lower than their purchase price in the peaks of June. So we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, a material improvement in spread for the company. And that's causing some uplift in in their embedded and listing margins
1: uh, as we move into Q4. We got a bunch of questions from... uh... Audience members on on Twitter, one aligns with this with this topic. Um, uh, Twitter user asked, "How do you see the open door offloading their greater than 120 day inventory during this home price depreciation market?" And I guess that's up for debate too. If we this is a home price depreciation market, and I believe there was a uh, a k- commission and bonus kicker that was put in place to help open door offload inventory faster and in q3 can you tell us a little more about that that announcement and how we see it playing out in the data
2: yeah so so open door reached out to some realtors to say that they're going to increase the commission to 3.5 percent plus thirty five hundred dollars on top of that for homes sold um that were aged inventory or or listed for more than 120 days Uh um and so that's really just you know uh a sales, a sales investment, so that they can sell off some of this, this aged inventory. I can tell you that, you know, what we're seeing is that demand has returned in a dramatic way in September, um, and so, you know, we expect that a, a lot of that inventory, perhaps not most, but a lot of the, the poorly bought inventory will be sold off, um, in, in Q3 and. Uh, less of it will need to be sold off in Q4. If there's any if there's any home price appreciation between then, then it's positive for the company. If there's further home price depreciation, it's obviously going to be a negative.
1: Do, do we have any grasp from the data about what percentage of homes from Open Door or from the entire iBuying ecosystem are selling at a loss in in Q3 or, or anticipated to?
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I don't have those
1: data off the top of my head, but. We
2: have all the raw transaction data, so yeah, yes, yeah, we can definitely we can definitely look that up.
1: Okay, cool. Maybe that's something we need to share on 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 Twitter afterwards. That was a, a question we got from a few folks, and I think pretty telling about um, you know what financial performance will look like in the iBuying space over the next couple of quarters. So so let's zoom back out for a second second, Tyler, and talk about iBuying as a whole. So I, from the vantage point that I sit, the last two years should have been a an incredible market for for iBuyers. The home price appreciation was incredibly forgiving to to purchase strategies, and you know, up until we saw this uh, spike in interest rates in Q two of this year, um, purchase demand was was off the charts. So let's talk about like your viewpoint of what this COVID environment should have meant for the iBuy market, and either where that went wrong or or where that went right.
2: Yeah. I think, I think this is, this is often mentioned um, and, and I, I do think that there's some nuances there that are, that are helpful when thinking about the model. I would say that Opendoor's entire business is powered by their sell to Opendoor product, right? So you're a homeowner. You don't want to go through the process of listing your home for 90 days and doing multiple showings and staging and things like that. So you sell to Opendoor and you pay a 5% fee. The problem is, is in a hot market, right? Like the COVID, post-COVID market, it was really easy to sell your home. You listed your home and that weekend, you have 10 offers, right? You don't need Open Door in that situation. Um, and so, and so Open Door's product doesn't really make sense in the, in the COVID environment. And so as a result, they were probably having to pay more per home than, than they would have in a flat, slightly up, slightly down market um, to, to convert. And so that's that's really important to internalize is that there are some boons in terms of the HPA, but there's really two drivers on margin for open door. One is spread, right? Buying homes for less than they're worth. And the other is HPA selling a home because it's appreciated. And so HPA should be the driver of margin and up market spread should be a driver of margin in a down market. But it's not so much like open doors product works better in a hot market or down market. It's really just that Opendoor should be sort of cycle agnostic as long as the cycle isn't super fast. That's where they can get caught, right? Because the dynamics of buying and selling homes at scale is like a 30 to 60 day window. And so if housing moves faster than 30 to 60 days, then, then they might have mistimed the market. And so, so yeah, I think, I think that's one of the features that probably negatively impacted Opendoor's performance in a post-COVID world. The other thing is they were competing with Zillow. Right, Zillow decided to to put their foot on the gas at the same time Open Door did, and so now you're competing with this company that is definitely overpaying for homes, which is Zillow. And so to convert, you might have had to even you know go a little bit higher in your offers. And so I think I think it's easy on one hand to say, hey, home price appreciation was 25 percent year on year, but Open Door holds inventory for only like two to three months, so you know they only got a fraction of that. But also they were competing with Zillow and. And I think all of those were sort of negative impacts on their performance for a for post-COVID world.
0: How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or... member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.